0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.
1: Having that option, having that direct-to-consumer business already set up, was pretty significant. We had been running it for 7 years. At this point, we just hadn't thrown the gas on. So while everybody was freezing, we were so busy picking up those ad deals and continuing to grow and obviously had to make sure that we were continuing to make product because we had so many other things going on and then we got a call from Costco asked us to go nationwide with them in the middle of the pandemic. It was crazy.
2: Welcome to today's
3: episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands.
2: Rachel, we've had a couple of entrepreneurs on the podcast before. I remember Sarah from Supergirl and Shay from Boxed just IPO. Yeah. I mean, gosh, if more people were following in his footsteps, sheesh. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to hear the differences in what motivates people to get up and go to work when they work for a big company or when it's the company that they've built. And I, I can't think of anybody that I'm closer to that knows that better than you do.
3: Oh, well, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. You're kicking ass. Well, it's a journey. And luckily I have 150 other people helping me now, which is wild. See, I look at that as you have another 150
2: mouths to feed, but <sighs> I know that's why I'm like a semi entrepreneur. I think I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I would just really like to have a partner in crime while I'm doing it. You have the tenacity of an entrepreneur. So in my mind, you are a full-time entrepreneur. Well, I definitely have tenacity, but just the mindset of an entrepreneur, I think is just kind of different than anyone else. Talk a little more about that.
3: Well, you know, through the lens of Kara, who we're about to have on the show, and Che and Sarah, speaking for myself, I do think we probably would all agree that we don't know the word cannot. Yes. And it's just, how can I get this done? With who? When? Who do I need to call? And I think that's a shared spirit. And I imagine the other shared spirit is resilience. You, know, you just get more nos than you get yeses. And you got to get used to that.
2: The latter part I think is necessary for anybody in a sales capacity at all. The former part, there's, there really is a nuance of how to figure out how to get things done without being super duper annoying. And I used to say this when I was at 360. I definitely a more entrepreneurial chapter for me. Not that Profitero isn't. It's pretty scrappy. There are like two types of people. There are people who see big ideas and then there are people who get shit done. But a real entrepreneur really has to be able to bridge both because you have to paint a vision for everybody and what you're going to do and how you're going to get there and get rid of the doubters and the haters. But you also have to have that ability to just find a way to get it done and ideally do so in a way that's
3: different and memorable. And I would say though, because I agree with everything you said, But to get to the next chapter as an entrepreneur, you then need complete self-awareness because the early days you do everything, but then you reach a point where you need to scale your business. You can't do everything. And you have to be brutally honest with yourself at what you are fundamentally the best at. And then all the other things hire the best people for those. And I've found that the entrepreneurs that haven't scaled are the ones who in some way lack self-awareness. Yeah, there are two parts to that. There's like the self-awareness
2: and then there's the self-regulation. You can know something about yourself, but are you willing to change? That comfort in knowing you've hit a certain point and knowing that you've got to bring somebody else in or compliment yourself or bring in those building blocks, I think that's the trigger. It's almost like it's know thyself, but then act. I think people that have a bias to action are going to be the ones that continue to win. It's certainly Kara Golden, who's the founder and CEO of Hintwater, is one of those people. So much so that she
3: wrote a book about it. So let's bring her onto the show.
2: Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. We're honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Very, very excited to be here. I really enjoyed reading Undaunted. It's a really wonderful journey hearing about all the different things that happened to your life personally and professionally that has influenced who you are and the choices that you've made, and how that's really basically gotten you tremendous success. And it all kind of ties back to you calling yourself an accidental entrepreneur. What does that mean? And how has that
1: impacted your path to taking Hint to where it is today? Well, thank you for the introduction. People ask me along the way, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? And did you go and work for incredible entrepreneurs because you wanted to learn from them? More than anything, I think that entrepreneurs come from lots of different ways of getting there, That maybe some are born to become entrepreneurs. Maybe some just can't work for people. And others are like me, where they saw this problem that just seemed so obvious yet nobody was really focusing on it. And so when I stumbled upon this idea for an unsweetened flavored water, frankly, I do what I think a lot of people do is think like, it's gotta be out there somewhere. I'm just going to the wrong supermarkets to find this product. And I didn't know that I was launching ultimately a new category until I started realizing that consumers didn't know what I was talking about. Buyers didn't know what I was talking about. But I was leading in my own life with solving a problem for myself, I could take a product to market that could help a lot of people. That was really the goal and purpose behind it. And again, not really knowing or wanting to become an entrepreneur.
3: Rachel, which kind of entrepreneur do you think you are?
1: I was just going to say, Sarah and
3: I are either, we can't work for anyone else or (laughs) obsessed with solving unmet consumer needs.
1: I like the way you framed that whole thing out. I think that the best entrepreneurs today are really people that are looking at it from solving a problem, trying to figure out, is this a problem that I think is out there? Maybe it affects me. Maybe it affects somebody that I love. That is the thing in every industry that I see is kind of consistent for most entrepreneurs. On the strategy front,
3: so much of this podcast is people who are practitioners you know, in e and CPG. You're working in this incredible category that is a lifeline to consumers. In the world of e some would say shipping bottles of water is actually very costly. And some would even go as far as saying that e-commerce wouldn't be profitable for them. Sarah and I both work with a lot of beverage brands that struggle with that. When it comes to thinking about profitability,
1: shipping cases of water, how do you think about e-commerce and your strategy? So one of the stories I share is around how we started our direct-to-consumer business. And I think that is good background to have. We started with Amazon. It was a phone call from Amazon. They were starting this grocery business. And it was about a year into doing pretty well with Amazon when I had a conversation with the buyer at Amazon and he shared that the consumer that was buying hints was also buying things like diabetes monitors and crossing categories that he didn't see was the situation with other beverages that they stocked in the Amazon Drink section. Mm. And I said, That's really fascinating because I started this company because I wanted to get off of diet soda and get healthier. Can you give me some of those emails? Because I'd love to reach out to the consumers to really understand a little bit more. And he started laughing. He said, Jeff Bezos isn't going to give you emails. I mean, I'll get fired. I can't do that. That's when I remember coming back to San Francisco and thinking, if I really want to have a relationship with my consumer, I need to start drinkhint.com. That way I can have this relationship with consumers. I didn't worry about the problems, the walls for setting it up, because I really felt like I had also come off of another situation prior to Amazon where Starbucks had discontinued us. And what I realized was that when they discontinued us because they wanted to put higher margin businesses in the cold case, that If I would have had a relationship with the consumer, that it wouldn't have been so bad. I could have figured out a way to not have all my eggs in one basket, figure out how to move forward with the consumer and share that I was on Amazon or in these other stores or whatever. So the combination of both of those things happening in my journey really led me to believe even if it isn't big, even if it's just like a tiny little part of our business, I need to have some kind of dialogue with the consumer to learn more. And when we launched com, we actually went to FedEx. And at the time, Amazon was only UPS and some USPS. And so we went to FedEx. And again, having that background at America Online and kind of the early days of sort of knowing some people at FedEx, we went and we said, listen, like you're zero in this world right now that exists for CPG. So we would love to do something with you guys. And obviously we're on Amazon. We don't plan on discontinuing our relationship with Amazon, but on drinkhint.com, like let's build together and let's learn together. And so they offered us unprecedented rates. Again, going back to what entrepreneurs do well is there was a chance they were going to say no, or that's stupid. We don't get it, but it never hurts to ask what's the worst that can happen. That was how that whole business started. Hmm. The way I look at our business today, I mean, we were basically a 3 prong revenue strategy of retail. And those, of course, are divided into different types of retail, the food service business, which is the Googles of the world, but also colleges and things like that. And then our direct-to-consumer business, which is really two things. It's direct-to-consumer and e-commerce, it's drinkhemp.com, then it's Amazon and Box and some of the other ones. So when the pandemic hit, the food service corporate business went away and it was unpredictable. And so having this direct-to-consumer business was game-changing, And having that relationship with the consumers and thinking like the consumer too, again, through my own story, I'm dealing with getting kids home from college last spring when the pandemic hit, Mm -hmm. trying to make sure my employees are safe, trying to make sure I'm safe. All of these things are going on and store shelves were empty. And so I started really thinking like the consumer and wrote a letter to them. And I had a million consumers in my own database That I was able to react pretty quickly and say, hey, it's really scary out there. And if you're like me, shelves are empty. I can't solve your problem for toilet paper and paper towels and bleach. (laughs) But what I can do is tell you that we have plenty of stock of hint in our warehouse and order. And I mean, it was insane. It was like 60% response rate because people were really looking and trying. And we were doing a lot on kind of the retail side of our business too, also getting trucks direct into, because the EDI was broken. I mean, there were so many things along the way, but having that option, having that direct to consumer business already set up was pretty significant. We had been running it for seven years at this point, we just hadn't thrown the gas on. So while everybody was canceling their ad deals with Facebook and Google and basically freezing. Mm. We were so busy picking up those ad deals and continuing to grow and obviously had to make sure that we were continuing to make product because we had so many other things going on. And then we got a call from Costco asked us to go nationwide with them in the middle of the pandemic. It was crazy. I'm hearing you talk, and I feel like
3: you have the omni-channel business case study of the pandemic the trifecta was really working
1: in your force, in your direction. So that's awesome. One other thing that I always, you know, share with people and talk about it a lot in the book as well is that, you know, we all have challenging times along the way. I'm a huge believer that you don't forget about those challenging times. You learn from them and you try and figure out what if things would have been a little different? Was there something that I could have done? For me, When the pandemic hit, it was obviously full throttle. We were all working really, really hard, but with all these new opportunities coming our way and we didn't want to miss any of them, we were afraid that we were going to run out of money. And in 2008, 2009, during the financial crisis, that for me was like probably the most challenging time, obviously the most challenging for many, many people. But I thought, I don't want to run out of money. And I remember saying to my CFO, We got to raise money. And he said, I don't know if you know, but like everyone's on Zoom, all offices are closed. I mean, how are you going to do that? And I'm like, we cannot allow Zoom to be a roadblock. It's a tool and we have to figure out how to use it in a way. And we did. We raised money in 60 days. I mean, we had set up our company all the right way, but we were not going to be blocked. And it was amazing how many people. We were going out and talking to them about, we want to raise money. They're like, our calendar is wide open. No one is calling right now. And it was just, I mean, it was crazy how many people were willing to jump on it. Yeah. I was in the same boat. I raised money in 90 days via Zoom last spring. so. So given the
3: insight that you have now, if you had to wind the clock back 15 years of your career, what advice would you give to your former self?
1: Well, I had a lot of doubts that I could actually go and launch something in an entirely new category, but an entirely new industry that I knew nothing about. I was a consumer in the beverage industry, but I had never been in the beverage industry. So just to give people a little bit of my background, I started in journalism, was at Time Magazine, and then moved on to a late stage startup called CNN in the early nineties, then moved to Silicon Valley, worked for a tiny little startup that was a Steve Jobs idea. That was a spin out of Apple. I didn't work for Steve, but I worked for five guys that worked for Steve and went through my first acquisition. We were acquired by one of our investors, America online. And so America online was at a stage when I was there that they were... Wait, wait,
2: one second. What is this America online you speak of?
1: (laughs) Many millennials might remember it as like when you were really, really little and you were in a chat room and you would fight with your brother because he picked up the phone and ruined your chat, right? And then you got disconnected. So, that's all you really need to know about America online. But We were just kind of thinking about how do we make e-commerce happen? I was the youngest vice president at America Online. I was one of the few females at that level. Frankly, I think I was given this huge responsibility because nobody really thought e-commerce and DTC was going to happen. And so I just kept trying to figure out how do I build on this puzzle? Seven years later, it was a billion dollars in revenue to America Online. And even though I had been successful in sort of looking at Something that was just sort of starting and growing it and building a team and all these things. When I'm going into an entirely new industry after I kind of had made my mark in tech, that there were plenty of people, especially the people my colleagues, the people you love are the worst because they don't want you to take any risks. They're like, why are you leaving tech? I mean, you're doing so great. But I think when I saw this problem out there that I really felt like I had an answer to solve, that's what was pulling me. I think that the key thing that I would say to myself is that it doesn't really matter what industry you go into. If you have a problem to solve, it doesn't matter if you have experience. In fact, experience may limit you because you think that things should be done a certain way versus actually having a new lens. Something I talk about in the book is Walking into a new industry and thinking, oh, I've got to go hire people that actually know they've been in the industry, they'll teach me. You know, many of those people evaluated me as not having experience. So why should they jump into my company? Right. And so I today think a lot about industries and unfortunately, innovation and kind of the best ideas are. Founded by the crazies, right? The visionary entrepreneurs that are out there doing things because they want to solve a problem and they have an idea to solve a problem, not necessarily the classically trained people who have been watching the wheel go round and round the same way for years and years and years and aren't really using those skills of thinking differently.
2: I think that speaks very much to the entrepreneurial spirit because ultimately, Rachel has built her career on this. I built my career on this. Always asking, why not? You don't have that experience doesn't mean that that's the right answer. It's what are you bringing to the table that's actually different? Because otherwise, especially in the beverage space, you're in a sea of sameness. So even if you're defining a new category within beverages, if you're going to go through the same like playbook of how to launch a brand that Coca-Cola company does or anything like that, you're just going to get drowned out. So you have to zag if you want to break out. Totally. More than anything else, something that most CEOs, I guess, don't do, at least none that I know, that early on in the pandemic, you slipped into a target stockroom to reassure the general manager that you'd be restocking the shelves. And when we saw the empty shelves and the absolute panic buying, you're just sitting there like, you know, boots on the ground saying, don't worry, we will be back
1: shortly. What impact do you think that had? And what was your thought process behind that? My editor actually passes away in the beginning of the pandemic. I'm not only the founder of oh boy. Hint, but I'm also the CEO of Hint, and running a company that is an essential product, and we are regulated by the FDA because regulated by the state, we have an additional regulation on top of our product. So when an essential product, not just toilet paper, and some of the other things that people think about that are essential, when you go into pandemic status, you hit a whole new level where you will actually lose your license. I sat there and thought, how do I lead a team sheltering in place and telling everybody to go out there? It is really freaking scary out there and I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And so something that you know, I felt was that I had to be straight up with my team that I'm not exactly sure that this is the right move, but I'm actually getting out there myself. To figure it out. When you're scared, when you have fear, I think that the best thing to do, especially when you're leading a team, is get in there yourself. Did you learn anything about serving your customers through that process that you didn't know before? It was shocking to me, frankly, that more brands weren't in there and kind of doing it. I mean, a lot of people just said, okay, we're going to freeze. And one thing that I've always learned as an entrepreneur is it's rarely the best thing to do to stay like, complacent, right? And not do anything. Mm -hmm. And so there was clearly a time like we didn't know what we were doing. It was, let's try this, let's try that. But being in sort of the early stages of this company and now being a little further along, I can still go back to being scrappy, but I can also bring in some strategy stuff, especially as it relates to keeping my employees safe. I love that story. You going and connecting with the customer, keeping your employees safe. You've
3: shared so many stories of bravery already, but we end every podcast with this
1: same question. What's the bravest thing you've ever done? The bravest thing I've ever done. Gosh, you know, I feel like I feel like launching hint. Again, it didn't seem like it was a whole lot of bravery way back then, but I think when you look back. On the challenging times, I guess you start to really realize that. I guess it was pretty brave. I didn't know what I was doing. But I think more than anything, probably launching hints, sort of not knowing, not having all of the answers, not having all the dots to dot the I's and T's to cross the T's, but instead just kind of trusting myself and moving forward. And all of those, I think, are probably the bravest thing. I would agree. I feel like what you're doing
3: is you're building a brave empire. And it's just amazing to see how you reacted and capitalized on the tailwinds that were happening in the industry. Well, Kara, we're so appreciative of your time and everyone go try and drink hint. If you haven't drinkhint.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts,
2: follow us on Spotify and Google podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend.
0: Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
1: Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights, and visions for the the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to
3: see you there.